Hello. Welcome to the very first inaugural inaugural episode of the 7 Minutes Podcast. I am Angela Marujo, and I'm a gaming enthusiast. Some people would call it a gamer, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, in you know, in my spare time, I play a lot of games. Uh, I've been a big gamer my whole life because my brother um, play mainly Nintendo, but I also play a lot of stuff on my PS4 as well. Um, unfortunately, gamer is not my occupation. I'm a marketing manager. Um, and in my spare time, other than games, uh, I do enjoy fashion things, uh, like posting stuff to my Instagram, it's fashion related. And, uh, I also am a staff writer for nintendojo.com and I run our humble little Instagram account. All right. My name is Zach. I am a second generation gamer American. Uh, I am tangentially uh, associated with Nintendo Joe. I've contributed, I think, a total of three reviews. Wow. Um, I could have a count off by a little bit, you know. I think it's about three. Might be three. Okay. Um, I am a longtime gamer uh, and play on, on everything from PC to Switch and all sorts of things in between. Uh, I am Robert Marujo. I am Angela's brother. And I run Nintendo Joe and the editor in chief. Um, and I have also been a lifelong gaming enthusiast slash gamer. <laughs> I didn't know this was a point of debate, but I'll go with gamer. <laughs> uh, my earliest memory in life is watching someone play Tetris. I remember seeing the Tetraminos fall. And uh, I guess I was hooked ever since. I don't know. But I primarily play on Nintendo consoles. But I love everything, and I collect everything, but my passion is probably most for Nintendo stuff. That's interesting, Robert. I actually didn't know that your first memory of life also involved games, because my, my very, what I believe is my earliest memory of, of being alive is um, standing in my crib uh, in our grandmother's bedroom watching our Uncle Carlos play uh, Super Mario Bros. 3, and it was in the, I can't remember what... Uh, exactly what level and world it is but it's the world where it's the level where everything is large and mario is regular size okay yeah that's my first memory of life well my first memory is probably not appropriate for the podcast because it just involves a rocking chair (laughs) and being cradled in my mother's arms i didn't have the kind of degenerate (laughs) childhood very loving (laughs) (laughs) loving well if you're wondering why our podcast is called seven minutes it is a very uh um, a very loving reference to albert wesker in resident evil 5 uh you know you're fighting him he i I think that's uh that's actually when you find jill and uh you have to rescue jill from the clutches of wesker and you know he's all like you know seven minutes seven minutes is all i have to play with you chris it's a reference to that (laughs) it's become somewhat of an inside joke we're pretty sure the podcast won't be seven minutes a piece but it's a bar we're aiming to clear if we if we exceed it by a lot pat ourselves on the back (laughs) worst case we'll we'll do seven cut and run yeah 
But um, yeah, these are going to be longer than seven minutes. So <laughs> I look forward to if we ever become famous and like the media starts pulling from the seven minutes of podcast <laughs> and you have these media output outlets that don't realize it's a Resident Evil. <laughs> According to the seven minutes podcast. <laughs> I think it's a lot more highfalutin than it actually is. I think maybe wait until we have a total of like 10 downloads or 10 <laughs> clicks before you worry about media coverage. <laughs> and now we turn to their leader, a Albert Wesker. <laughs> I have seven minutes to deal with your tawdry little interview. <laughs> well, for our first episode, um, today is what day? Today is Saturday, February 20th. And uh, tomorrow, uh, for reference, we are in the Bay Area. Um, so, you know, current time for us is Saturday, February 20th. Tomorrow, Sunday, February 21st, is the 35th anniversary of The Legend of Zelda. Is that based on the Japanese release date? That's right. Uh, so, we, in honor of this uh, very important celebration that Nintendo doesn't really seem to care about right now, and yeah, maybe, that last Nintendo Direct sucked. Yeah, and maybe that'll change soon. Uh, but in honor of this very big milestone uh, and this series that is actually very meaningful to the three of us, we're going to talk about our favorite Zelda games, experiences, and our least favorite Zelda games. Um, so I guess we can just jump in, whoever wants to start. Okay, apparently I've been selected. All right. I'm pulling the sword from the stone. Uh, well, I guess let's start with my favorite. Actually, that's a terrible idea because I oscillate between three games from my favorite Zelda. Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and Wind Waker. On any given day, I can make an argument for any of the three. I think my, my most go-to answer is probably Ocarina of Time. Um, I think Ocarina is always going to hold a special spot for me because I'm old enough that I've lived through every Nintendo system, but the first Zelda game I actually cared about was Ocarina of Time. So, like, we had, you know, an NES and an SNES growing up, but you being younger, the games skewed towards, like, younger kid interests, so there was a lot of, like cartoon-based games, like some of the Capcom stuff, Ninja Turtles. We always had Mario, but Zelda didn't hit our radar until Ocarina. Yeah. And that was purely just because of Nintendo Power. So I remember for months just the endless buildup of the screenshots. Mm -hmm. It always looked different. The screenshots were always of different builds of the game. And then finally Ocarina comes out. And, like, I think that part of the reason for me, the attachment to Ocarina might not ever be duplicated is because when you transitioned from Super Nintendo to Nintendo 64, you had that monumental leap from 2D gaming into 3D gaming. So by the time we're getting to Ocarina of Time, Mario 64 had come out and looked amazing, but... Ocarina looked like nothing I'd ever seen before. And all those screenshots just had me hyped for like, this game's going to be like, I'm really going through this, this realm of Hyrule. And so Christmas morning comes and in our family, we had Game Boys that we played at home 
but we didn't have consoles at home. My Aunt Linda always had whatever the newest Nintendo system was at our grandma's house, which is where she lived. So we Christmas morning we'll go to we would we would go to the grandma our grandma's house and we'd open gifts and Ocarina of Time was there. So needless to say, once the gift opening was done, that was popped into the N64 instantly, and I was off playing it. And it was astounding. You know, the introduction of, of Navi flying and grabbing Link, and then you slowly make your way into the Deku Tree. All of that was just unlike anything I'd ever ex- experienced. And a standout moment for me in that game is getting to the top of the Deku Tree and the little Skulltellas were bad. Like, I'm super arachnophobic, so I hated them. But then when you got to the top and the giant Skulltellas descend down in front of you, I couldn't proceed. I stopped playing and told myself, so I've waited forever to play this game. It's in my system and I'm playing it right now. And I'm pretty sure I'm never going to beat it because I can't deal with the giant spiders. I think you would have been 12 Something like that. It was 1998. Uh, Just a note yeah. for our listeners, when they say Skulltulla, both <laughs> Angela and Robert mean Skulltulla. <laughs> they're, they're talking about the spiders that you can find in Ocarina of Time. Who calls them Skulltullas? Zach. The, Zach. It's based on like the spider named Tarantula. Do you call those Tarantulas? I don't... Skulltulla. I don't know. I've been lied to my whole life. I just don't like the sound of it. You yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. to like the sound of it. I refuse. It's Skulltulla. It's a death. I don't know. I wonder if this is more like, you know, coupon, coupon, February, February. I mean, those I do have firm stances on, but... Yeah, same. I feel like Skulltella is just the way it should be. Okay, this is not like the general purpose Andy Rooney crank, you know what I hate, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so you can right. you can hold back your opinions on, on coupon and coupon and so forth. All I mean, right. I guess, I suppose. Robert, so anyway. thanks for sharing. Oh, well, what about the negative? No, no, no. We'll get there. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll circle oh, back around yeah. for the negatives. Yeah, I yeah. see. Okay. okay. All right. Um, so my favorite Zelda game is pretty definitively Ocarina of Time. Uh, Robert and I are about four and a half years apart. Um, and so there are a lot of games that I spent a lot of time playing as a kid. And most of them were on the Super Nintendo. The the Super Nintendo was my most formative uh, gaming console, I would say. And it remains my favorite console. Uh, But the most impactful gaming experience, like not just my favorite Zelda game, but my favorite game of all time, is Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time actually inspired me to want to be a video game concept artist. And I had that dream going all the way... You know, from high school into college. Um, you know, high school, I took AP Studio Art um, with this idea that I was going to be a, a video game concept artist, and then I got to college. All the art classes were impacted my first semester, and because I had told myself I'm going to do college in four years because I don't want to be here longer than four years, um, I changed my major. Uh, but, you know, having Ocarina of Time inspire my path in life for so long, uh, you know, it, it just holds a really special place in my heart. Um, I feel like the story of Ocarina is really powerful. Uh, it's also very lonely. The, the game has a very lonely, kind of sad feeling. Um, 
And I feel like a lot of the emotions that you feel in Ocarina of Time or that that game conveys, just as beautiful and amazing as so many of the following Zelda games were and are, I just feel like the, the feeling of Ocarina of Time is very, very special. And none of the games really captured that feeling as well as Ocarina. Although Majora's Mask comes very, very close. Majora is my second favorite Zelda game. Um, so yeah, I mean, I also think that the art style in Ocarina is the best. It's certainly my favorite. Uh, I think that Link's character design, um, both young Link and adult Link, are the best Link designs um, series-wide. Uh, and, you know, I have a lot of memories of we got the player's guide, you know, and player's guides or strategy guides uh, were still a thing. R.I.P. Prima Games. Um, although this was the official Nintendo Power Guide. I carried that guide around so much. I was just reading it and I was drawing from it. Um, you know, my brother and I are big big on art and illustration and I, I would just draw the different things that were in the player's guide and I carried it around so much that it almost, it really kind of started to fall apart. Uh, the cover was all messed up and, uh, I, you know, the game, it just, it just means a lot to me. Um, I think it's perfection in every way, the pacing, the story, the length, the secrets, um, all of it. So, yeah. Uh, my opinions don't match Robert or Angela's all that well um <laughs> really anything for okay that may be true um for me uh my favorite zelda game uh honestly at, at the risk of being kind of a, kind of a normie answer it, it's breath of the wild um and i feel like breath of the wild was actually it, it took forever, but it, I finally found a game that dethroned the original Legend of Zelda <laughs> as my favorite. Uh, I felt like uh, the original Legend of Zelda has a ton of sentimental value for me. Uh, my whole family got into it. Uh, we, you know, have uh, hand-drawn maps. Uh, my dad is still kind of obsessed with the original Legend of Zelda to this day. Um, I, I, I have to thank the original Legend of Zelda for letting me call myself a second generation gamer American. Um, no, but I, I kind of felt like the, for, for me, the subsequent Zelda games lacked some of that spark of like exploration and freedom and really mystery. It felt more like puzzles to solve rather than like this strange world to, to explore. And just, I don't know, there's something strange about the original Zelda that I don't think the subsequent titles really picked up on uh, until a little bit in Link Between Worlds and then like, whole hog in breath of the wild uh i played that game uh you know 100 all 120 shrines okay not 100 percent. didn't do the korok seeding that, that is ridiculous and for clowns uh but um you know and then and then i played it again because i played it the first time on on the wii u because i hadn't picked up a switch yet and then as, as soon as i got a switch well i, I played mario odyssey first because that's what i got the switch for but then back into breath of the wild all the dlc uh just absolutely adored it i know i'm gonna go back to it um i just found it like endlessly entertaining uh it has something that it shares with very few games uh that are at all action oriented which is that it's just kind of like this 
uh, you know, systemic sandbox. You can end up stumbling into telling your own stories when you get into like a fight at a camp full of uh, Bokoblins. It's not going to go the same as the previous one. It's not going to go the same as somebody else's fight against those Bokoblins. And, and like it, every time it felt uh, special, uh, often funny. Like there, there's a real sense of slapstick to when when bad things befall you or when bad things befall the enemies. Uh, Ragnall and, physics. Yeah, I mean, you can even still see that in in clips that people are sharing years after the game came out. It's uh, it's it's more entertaining to watch clips of Breath of the Wild than most games. I think certainly any other Zelda game, but but even just games in general, Breath of the Wild makes for very good even secondhand experiences and like firsthand it, it was amazing um i i think it, it speaks more to like what what i valued about the original game um and uh i was really happy after what felt like uh you know angela and i have, have talked about this uh previously about how we just have very different tastes in zelda games but for my for my uh, point of view, uh, the period from Link to the Past and then all the games after it that kind of followed in its footsteps, followed that template. Um, I don't know. I just kind of felt like I still liked them, but it didn't feel like Zelda was for me the, the way it felt in the NES era. And Breath of the Wild really feels like a triumphant return of what I loved. So, yeah, Breath of the Wild for sure. Well, I think uh, the fact that there's a 2D build that they made of the game and development just to test everything kind of speaks to that passing of the torch from the NES original to the Switch and Wii U version of the game. While Breath of the Wild is not my favorite, it does have a special place in my memories because uh, working with Nintendo, working with Nintendo Joe, that was one of the first E3s I went to. I think it was my second or third E3, and I remember that year Nintendo had nothing but Breath of the Wild. And it was the Wii U version because they hadn't announced Switch yet. So I just remember being in the convention center and Nintendo's booth was still the most impacted booth of everything there because everybody wanted to play Breath of the Wild. It was that engrossing and interesting. And I think also just the sort of to piggyback off of what makes that game unique if my memory serves me correctly, I think that Metal Gear Solid Five didn't come out that long before Breath of the Wild, and there are kind of similarities in terms of, in terms of the freeform nature you have of tackling different objectives. You can kind of approach different scenarios different ways, and like Metal Gear Five really kind of did a good job of like establishing how that could work in the sort of sandbox world that it has. I feel like Breath of the Wild just took it in another direction and expanded upon it and arguably did it better to the point that we keep talking about Breath of the Wild. We don't talk as much about Metal Gear 5 anymore, which I think is kind of a testament to how good of a job Nintendo did with that open world of Hyrule in that game. For me, the point of reference is in Metal Gear Solid 5. It was uh, Dragon's Dogma, um, which isn't the same kind of sandbox (laughs) game, but does... It had the same effect of making me feel like the the, the encounters as they were being played out uh, felt like my own stories that I was telling. Was just, every encounter in that game was extremely memorable in a way that is very unusual. Um, and Breath of the Wild felt like it, to me like it was picking up that torch. 
I do not share <laughs> Robert and Zach's overall pretty positive sentiments about uh, Breath of the Wild. I just, I, I don't know. Um, I finished it. I put I put a lot of hours into Breath of the Wild. I, I think I put something like 80 hours into it or whatever, which is far and away not as many hours as many people put into it. But yeah, I beat the game, um, <clears throat> did a lot of the shrines, did a lot of the you know, extra things you don't necessarily need to do. I just felt very detached from Breath of the Wild. I felt like I didn't care <laughs> about anybody in that game, which is weird because, you know, when you look at the way that storytelling has advanced from, say, Ocarina or Majora to Breath of the Wild, you would think that I'd be sitting here saying I care more about these characters because they have more personality, they have more dialogue, and, and so on. But I don't. I care more about Anju and Cafe in Majora's Mask than I do about anybody in Breath of the Wild. I didn't care about Pura. I didn't care about Robbie, whoever. Um, even Terrytown, you know, the, the, what is supposed to be you establishing bonds with people and, and bringing a town together and, and doing, you know, this, all these grassroots efforts to build up Terrytown. It just didn't work on me. Uh, just nothing clicked. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to get too, too deep into bashing Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild is not my least favorite Zelda game, but it is one of my least favorite Zelda games. I mean, don't even get me started on the, the weapon breaking mechanic. I was just like the fact that even the Master Sword can quote unquote break. I was just like, I'm I, I don't want to play this game. Like I, I'm done playing this game. Like uh, you Sliding know, off rocks. Right, you know, and uh it's just yeah, the the constant dealing with the rain and, and your stupid uh stamina wheel and I, I just it didn't click. You know, Link looks stupid the majority of the game with all these dumb costumes. You don't you don't get to look like Link. Um, I think his ponytail's cute, but like, <laughs> like I just yeah, I, I just didn't, it didn't work for me. But I will say one thing: the story was middling for me, and the ending was so anticlimactic. But the story deals a lot with loss. And that is the one thing I'll give Breath of the Wild, was that the, the depth of, of the story dealing with loss. And, you know, the scene where, you know, Zelda, you see the screenshots of this a lot, but, you know, Zelda at her perhaps lowest, feeling defeated, and she's sobbing and she falls into Link's arms. There's a lot of very emotional moments in that game. And the, the, the topic of loss is pretty prominent. When you, especially when you're talking about the champions and sacrifices they made. Which is why, and I, I won't get into this very much, but especially too, I don't want to do too many spoilers for a game that hasn't been out for very long, but Age of Calamity and the way that story was handled, I would just say without giving away too many spoilers, it, it was kind of a slap in the face to the, the emotion that gets conveyed in, in parts of the story of Breath of the Wild and and the impact of loss and sacrifice. I think you're being maybe a little too kind to the story of Breath of the Wild, and I say that as somebody for whom it is my favorite game. <laughs> well, that's part of the reason why I didn't care for it to begin with, is that I just, I just thought it was a very kind of thin story. And even on the subject of personality, like, frankly, like, again, as somebody who likes Breath of the Wild more than the other Zelda games, I, I think, like, 
like Wind Waker's NPCs certainly have a lot more personality, regardless of like voice lines or whatever, however you want to like hold mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild up. Like yeah. the NPCs in Wind Waker uh, are much more memorable, much more charismatic. Like everything seems kind of on the story level, everything in Breath of the Wild seems kind of like wrote and formulaic in a way that has not necessarily been true of the other 3D Zelda games. Yeah, I mean, I can admit I'm probably in, in uh, you know, putting some of my own, excuse me, um, interpretations, um, you know, in retrospect onto the Breath of the Wild story, but it's still, the fact remains that the champions were willing to die for a cause and they were willing to die for their kingdom their friends, and what they felt was right. And that's pretty powerful, even if Breath of the Wild maybe didn't do the best job of communicating that. Um, and especially to having finished Age of Calamity, a review that I is, I need to write. It's way, <laughs> way overdue. It'll be on the site soon. Um, it'll be on Nintendo too soon. Uh, you know, ha- after having played that game and, and having played Breath of the Wild, um, that really does come to the forefront that the, the sacrifice that those champions made and what they were willing to give up their lives for, even if yes, birth of the wild, maybe didn't do the best job at communicating that. Well, I'm thinking about my response in terms of, uh, why Ocarina was my favorite and it just kind of ended with me being scared of the spiders. Um, <laughs> to piggyback on some of what they've both been talking about here. Uh, I think part of the reason I like Ocarina so much is that, for one thing, in terms of the narrative, it gives you story and then sort of lets you fill in holes. But the difference to me is that with Breath of the Wild, there's a little bit of that, especially with like the overworld and being like, oh, that landmark's here. But then there's the sea salt here and all these other things. And so you're sitting and trying to piece together the, the timeline of Zelda and how it all converges into this one world. But I feel like Breath of the Wild stepped up with a more intentional an elaborate story, and then you get to that anticlimactic ending with Ganon. And something about that falls flat for me. Whereas with Ocarina, it has this sort of timelessness, gives you just enough story to keep everything, you know, to keep everything clear and focused, but also lets your imagination kind of go. And I think that's also part, you can, you can, you can connect that to the way the actual overworld is designed. Because if you think of Breath of the Wild, the landscape of Hyrule is freaking huge. Whereas Ocarina of Time, by today's standards, is fairly small-ish. But I think that works in the favor of Ocarina of Time. Because there's so many games now that have this big open world to explore. And almost all of them just feel dead to me. Where it's like, wow, there's so much giant amounts of space and five focal points that actually have people to interact with or buildings to go into versus the endless miles of kind of nothing. Mm -hmm. And like Breath of the Wild does a good job of giving you a reason for it because Ganon's destroyed everything. So there's these pockets of civilization. But it still comes down to there's massive patches of land where it's empty. Whereas with Ocarina, you can cross from... You can cross the whole map in a relatively short period of time and your imagination comes into play there because you have the kind of sped up day-night cycle and as a result, it's like, okay, I've gone from here to here and it's gone from day to night. And even though it was only a few minutes in the real world, 
I understand the passage of time in terms of the world I'm playing in. So I guess that's a long way of saying that less can be more. And Ocarina of Time did a lot more with a lot less compared to games that came later. I think this can have to do with what you're bringing to it. Like, you were, what, 12 when you played Ocarina of Time? Mm-hmm. And that's an age when you're a lot more likely to, you know, fill in those details, get invested in the world like that. I say that because when I played Ocarina of Time, I was uh, I didn't play it when it came out. I played it right before Wind Waker came out. Um, you got the disc... Yeah, yeah, I jumped to uh, PlayStation 1 after Super Nintendo, and then, yeah, I got the collector's disc when I, mm-hmm. or whatever it was when I pre-ordered uh, mm-hmm. Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found, uh, like, Hyrule Field to be kind of empty and boring compared to, like, the world of Link to the Past, which feels a lot more dense and filled with secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember not just Hyrule Field specifically, but, like, going back and forth in the game, and it felt like I would just be spending so much time on a horse, sorry, I know his name is Epona. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. All this time on Epona. Yeah, it's a, it's a her. It's uh, a fine, her name is Epona. <laughs> Does it matter? Okay, like, are there generations of Epona with like a mother-daughter story that comes into play at some there point? There are generations no. of Epona. Yeah, that's right. Thank Who you. cares? Anyhow, like, the, the look, point look, is that I know, spent like a lot of time on the game. You should have been paying more attention like, from 1986 to, to now. Whatever. Yeah, you would know the answer. Like, I... My experience playing, say, Link to the Past, for example, uh, involved constantly being engaged, even on the way from one place to another. And in Ocarina of Time, I, I felt like I was like running across a field or riding across a field and like going back and forth up a switchback on a mountain pass and just kind of being like a, like less engaged by it. So I think I think part of it, which is not to invalidate your experiences, <laughs> obviously, but like part of it is just um, like I played the game when I was probably like, I don't know, 20 something. And that's just a different, I'm a, I'm a different person at that age than I would have been had I played the game when I was 12 or even younger. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting because you say that, but then I think of Wind Waker and how I kind of love its exploration for almost the exact opposite reasons that I love Ocarina's because a lot of people complain about the sailing. Mm-hmm. I actually like the sailing because, well, uh, Angelo was talking about, like, in Ocarina, there's this sense of loneliness. I don't know if I interpret it the same way that she does, because I do get the loneliness and loss, but it's sort of like Link has the world on his back. I mean, the first three dungeons, he's a little boy, and then he goes from being a little boy to suddenly, hey, you're a man, now go save everyone. And he enters the world, and there's all these, you know, people that are gone, locations that are gone, whatever. Um, but Wind Waker is also kind of lonely, too, because it's just him and the King of Red Lions. Mm -hmm. And then you have these long stretches of being on the boat. And, I mean, if you want to kind of interpret their interactions, you know, literally, I guess, they're silent. You know, Link and the King are just going across the sea, and the game has you actually traveling those, you know, stretches from island to island in silence with the king, just listening to the water and you're floating along. And sure, you might interact with certain things here and there, but it really gives you that sense of this is what it would kind of be like if you were on a boat traveling everywhere in these two characters' shoes. I just think of like how 
triumphant and adventurous the music is when you're sailing around. That's yeah, because even though to some extent the Hyrule Field theme uh, in Ocarina has a little bit has a little bit of that kind of triumphant feel, it also has a kind of quiet um, kind of uh, what I'm thinking of tranquility. Uh, Thank you, quiet sort of tranquil sound. I mean, it kind of it kind of ebbs and flows. and and gets a little more peaceful at times. I think because Wind Waker has a generally more kind of upbeat feel and vibe compared to Ocarina of Time, I don't feel lonely or that se- that sense of loneliness playing Wind Waker. Um, especially do because like with Wind Waker, you know, occasionally you'll the the talking fish will appear, you know, like just <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, or or uh, you know, the, the that one dude, you know, the the kaboom kaboom dude. You know, you'll encounter him. I can't remember anybody's name. Beetle. Here's like, what I mean about characters in Wind Waker versus <laughs> yeah, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, you know, Beetle, who I can't stand. You know, he'll be he'll be there. Uh, but you know, in Ocarina, uh, the, the world is partially destroyed once you get seven years into the future. There are less people. Some of the characters that that you see in game as a child are no longer in the game or visible at least as an adult. So there's fewer people in the world. The overworld uh, is pretty vast, and there's really nobody around. Even um, uh, the mailman, although is he even the mailman in Ocarina of Time? The, he, no, he's just the running guy. He's just the Ocarina running guy, time. yeah. So the running guy, you know, he's in the overworld as a child. He's not there as an adult. He's still building up his resume so he could apply <laughs> to be a mailman. <laughs> in Termina. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so in, and as you get older and, and the world is partially destroyed, the world has that sort of sense of, of loneliness. That's kind of where I, I pull it from. And, and Link is, is alone. I mean, you know, he is this one man, uh, you know, hero, the world on his shoulders and just him and, and Navi. That's why I think kind of to the other point I was making about, you know, doing more with less, Visually, uh, um, Wind Waker does that because if you think of like Ocarina at the time, of course, it's super advanced and like my my brain still sees it as this beautiful game. But you're doing quite a bit with few polygons. Then you get to Wind Waker and you have this beautiful animated aesthetic. But if you think about it compared to like hyper realistic video games, it technically is doing more with less. And I think that is why when you play that game, besides the really solid, you know, writing and localization, those character designs are just burned into your head. Like I think with Ocarina, the designs themselves result in some really timeless versions of characters. Mm -hmm. And like, if you look at like Darunia and compare him to all the different Goron characters who are basically just him, Mm -hmm. but with different looks they ultimately are just iterations of that basic look of him. So when I think of the other characters from the other games, I don't really remember them as clearly as him. Mm-hmm. Wind Waker does a similar thing in a different way, where, like, the the, the boom, boom guy, the one <laughs> who runs... Kaboom. Yeah, Kaboom. <laughs> you know, he, he's running that game. I know exactly what characters she's talking about. I think, I think of him as the splish guy. Splish, splish. <laughs> <laughs> but like all the characters in, in Wind Waker are similarly iconic as Ocarina and even like Majora. But like, now that's not to say I don't like the other designs. It's just there's something about that style. And again, it's simplicity over complexity 
that results in these more memorable interactions and characters. It's interesting the way that, I mean, you're right. Like the Gorons were introduced in Ocarina and they still kind of look N64-y in their general (laughs) shape and design. Um, And the same with the Zoras, which Mm -hmm. debuted in Mm -hmm. the first game. And if you look at like the concept art from the older games, they look very different. Yeah. But like the current nature, like visual nature of Zoras is kind of defined by how they looked in the like the smooth small number of polygons version they had in Ocarina. Yeah. yeah. So if we transition a little bit now to like the games that we're less than fond of, I mean I think we've talked a little bit about that like with you know maybe Breath of the Wild and Ocarina for the three of us, but I have a hard time thinking of any Zelda game where I'm just like, I don't like that game. <laughs> And I mean the the obvious choices are like the the Phillips trilogy, <laughs> but those don't count. Those are not counting. <laughs> I'm also not going to let you get away with the the DS spinoffs of Wind Waker. No, 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 no. The wait, 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 wait. Oh, those are on. not spinoffs. They like the so, clearly like B Phantom Hourglass. No one's favorite. Oh, not at all. That is a true. Uh, sequel to Wind Waker. Aren't those part of the the timeline? Yeah, they're part of the timeline. Yeah. This guy, sure. Here. But Revenant Wings is also a true sequel to Final Fantasy Twelve, and oh, that is not on. a real Final oh, Fantasy. Okay. Real fans, it is. Thank yeah. you. No, no, these games, especially too, because they're not spinoffs. They are continuations. The King of the Red, King of Red Lions told Link and Zelda at the end of Wind Waker, "Go make your own." Life Island Land. Yeah, yeah. Make your own Hyrule. And so, you know, so this Phantom Hourglass was them making their own Hyrule. Yeah, it's just, it's such a cop out answer to the question of what is your least favorite Zelda. That's not a cop out answer. Well, I'll say this. You play this gimmick stylus game on the If we do more of these podcasts, I will more than once repeat the handhelds are my favorite consoles. I love the the home consoles, but playing on the Game Boy, the DS, the 3DS, those are my preferred systems. So I'm not going to differentiate between those Zeldas and the console Zeldas, but I can at least try to separate in terms of our conversation here. So if we're going with just the least favorite Zelda, doesn't matter what platform it's on, take Triforce Heroes and throw in the garbage bin somewhere. That <gasps> game sucks. Okay, whatever. Triforce Heroes is ridiculous. I tried playing it again the other day, not a single moment of it was catching my attention. And then you have this horror. I don't know who was sniffing glue at Nintendo and <laughs> continues to sniff glue at Nintendo with this idea that, wow, I play Zelda and really wish I could play it with someone else. I have oh, no yeah. desire for yeah, multiplayer no. in Zelda. So- Although, wait a minute. Four Swords Adventures... I remember, I think we played that together at least once. Well, see, here's and the thing. And that was fun. But Four Swords Adventures, even even that's funner alone. Yes, I was going to say, Four Swords, at least the multiplayer works pretty pretty well. And you can do it one player pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Whereas Triforce Heroes makes it way too cumbersome to play alone. Okay. Which, you know, you know someone will say, well, that's the point. It's multiplayer Zelda. Mm-hmm. That's cool. No one wants multiplayer Zelda. True. Okay, go play Elder Scrolls or something. Nobody needs this nonsense. I'm Elder sure, Scrolls sure, is I'm, single player. I'm sure, I'm sure we've just offended the people out there who are like, well, I want to I just, Especially no. the person saying, Elder Scrolls isn't multiplayer. <laughs> the, the, pe- the people listening... 
demand a real answer from Robert. This is like if he said like Link's crossbow training or Tingle's whatever rupee land was his least favorite Zelda. This is not part of like the esteemed canon of Zelda and it's somewhere, therefore not an interesting answer. Somewhere Aonuma has a big graph and Triforce Heroes is on it. In fact, we might one day find out that the entirety of the series leads to Triforce Heroes. <laughs> The greatest troll move by Nintendo ever is we get to glimpse the real timeline and it's like, all roads lead to Triforce Heroes. It's fine. It's a boring answer. You've wasted your answer. That's my answer for now. You two give your little opinions and I'll have a console one that I pick as my least favorite. Try to redeem your client, Angela. I... Those are... That's my answer. Is is the DS games. The Phantom Hourglass and, and Spirit Tracks. Those are not really great I, I didn't enjoy them i didn't have okay well actually i was kind of enjoying phantom hourglass i just distinctly remember getting stuck and for some reason do not distinctly remember exactly what i was stuck on and then i just kind of gave up and spirit tracks i have even fewer memories of and that's that's that says a lot given that zelda is my favorite series that i can't really remember much at all of spirit tracks and didn't even go back to finish Phantom Hourglass. Um, now, if you want my answer for console, uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe um, maybe Zelda 2? I mean, Zelda 2, I think my first experience with Zelda 2 was the Game Boy Advance re-release, because I have the original Zelda and Zelda 2 on Game Boy Advance. Man, I just remember seeing the death counter getting higher and higher on my save file. Um, I, I just, maybe I wasn't playing it right. I don't know. I just did not get a ton of enjoyment out of out of Zelda 2. Um, it's definitely harder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure my death counter was that, it was sitting at least at like 50 some odd deaths for sure before I was just like, I'm maybe one day I'll return. Yeah. I, uh, I really like Zelda 2, but I think it, I don't know if I ever would have come to appreciate it if I had not come to it until later in life. I have a really strong memory of, I mean, I definitely like the first Zelda more than the second, but I have a really strong memory of being uh, like in a cabin in the mountains with my family during a thunderstorm and playing mm -hmm. Zelda 2 and going through the Golden Palace, which is like the last dungeon, mm -hmm. last palace in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the power went out in a lightning strike, which if you know the last boss, or I guess second to last boss in Zelda 2 is thematically very appropriate, but um, lost the save file and had to mm. start from scratch, mm -hmm. which it did. Um, but that, you know, that kind of memory, I think, makes me ironically more attached to it, even though obviously in the moment it was heartbreaking and mm -hmm. frustrating. <laughs> Tragic. So in terms of least favorite console games... I could say Zelda 2. I just feel like that's... I don't know. It's an easy game to fall on because it's like Mario 2 or it's like, hey, here's this game and then here's this really different game and then it's polarizing and some people love it and some people hate it, whatever. For me, though, even though I enjoy this game, when I look back at it and think of playing it in the moment, Skyward Sword probably goes lower. Oh, how did I forget? Because okay. now for me, the yeah. issue with Skyward isn't, uh. it's not the motion controls. I don't mind them. I can play with them and I had fun. It's, there's, there's two areas where it falls flat. 
it tries to kind of recreate that sense of exploration that Wind Waker had because of the flying. And except instead of expanses of water, it's expanses of clouds. The only problem is there there is not a damn thing up in the sky to even remotely find interesting to explore other than Skyloft. I I need to amend my answer because I have to agree with you. Yes, my least favorite Zelda game, I think my, well, at least for the console, home consoles, I think it's got to be Skyward. Well, and then the other thing that to me is defective with that game is how they recycle the areas that you go to. So you don't have a true proper open world in Skyward. You have these little pockets of world that you're allowed to explore that, you know, there's, they're big, but then you keep coming back to them. And it's sort of the weakness that, uh, I believe it was Phantom Hourglass that did this with the dungeon that you kept going back to. It's like the, the Temple of the Ocean King or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or the gimmick was, well, there's this dungeon you keep returning to and you get to keep going deeper into it. And that's the final dungeon. Well... With Skyward, you had these, I think it's three total areas, might be more, I haven't played it in a while, but you keep going back to them. And it's like, well, it's cool that they change. It's not like they remain static. But I think I think you end up going back to them like three total times. And by the third time, I think that third trip is just like a total Easter egg hunt. Like you're just on a fetch quest. And that's where that game to me stumbles. And then I'm not big on Link's Pants. And that might not be a good reason to dislike no, a game. But, no, it is. But it Twilight is. Princess, you had this super cool link, and then someone's like, hey, why don't we fill his pants with air? <laughs> you know, what... It's just what, more puffy and cloud What really pisses me off, though, about... Like, Twilight Princess was almost perfect. But then somebody, maybe the same glue sniffer at Nintendo, they had to go and mess up his nose. It bothers me so much. And yes... Like, you know, Zach is over here face palming right now. And no, no. Link deserves better. Link is my number one video game crush. crush. Thank you, Adult Link Ocarina of Time. Very formative. Uh, <laughs> but no, the nose. I can't get over his nose in Twilight Princess. And then, thanks to Zach coining Link in Skyward as Mike Jeffrey's Link. Mike Jeffries, for those of you who don't know, the former CEO of Abercrombie & Fitch. He's had some work done. He had, yeah, Link had some work done in Skyward because his face is hideous. His pants are stupid. There's a lot of dumb, ugly designs in Skyward. and uh, Skyward the, has some good stuff. Skyward, look, look. I mean, Girahim, I think it's pronounced, Girahim, Girahim, he's all right. Like, but in terms of his overall character design... I don't hate him. I don't love, love him. I think that he's okay. He's one of, like, maybe the only all right things in this game. Um, And uh, Skyward at least gave us a true kind of Link Zelda love story. The closest thing I think we're going to get to Nintendo just admitting this is the OTP. Link Zelda forever. Don't bring your fan fiction language into this podcast, please. Just because I read a lot of fan fiction Um, about that when I was 12. So I... (laughs) Unfortunately, I uh, can neither confirm nor deny Robert's claim that Skyward Sword has some good stuff in it. Um, <laughs> the only reason I'm not going to list Skyward Sword as my least favorite Zelda is that I couldn't stick with it long enough to get out of Skyward. <laughs> I 
absolutely loathed it. I was like, why are you making me walk around this like school? It's like high school night school. Like what is going on? I have to get a cat off of a roof. What's the idiot? What is Groose? Groose? The fact that I have to think that hard to pronounce whatever his name is. (laughs) I hated Groose. I hated him too. I hated, uh, who was the other character that everyone was obsessed with in Twilight Princess? Is it Shod? Oh, dude with the glasses? Like, there's always Shad, these, like, Shad, these yeah. side characters. Sorry to cut you off, but I just, you reminded me of Groose and how I hate him. And you had idiots who would, <laughs> oh, Colin's another one. Where people, oh. like, I remember before Skyward came out, I think somebody was like, maybe it's actually Colin. Oh, my God. And he's, he's, he's grown up and now he's, la- it's like, no <laughs> one likes these characters. No one likes him with his weird head. Nobody likes Bruce with his weird head. His name's stupid. These characters suck. And yet you have these, these pockets of fandom that are like, I'm going to do a hundred drawings of him. I'm going to write fanfics. It's like, no. I mean, no. part of the appeal of Zelda series, they have a bunch of weirdos in the world. No, like see? you have this kind of like mythic legendary story between Link and Ganon and with Zelda. But then you also have all these super weird, and they don't all work, but all these super weirdos in the world. Well, I mean, I think you can see the super weirdos starting with Wind Waker. Because, I mean, you have some oddball characters for sure in, like, Majora's Mask, for example. I think you can see the weirdos in Ocarina and Majora, for sure. For sure. I mean, like, uh, Seikon, uh, the thief. I mean, he's weird. He's incredibly off-putting. The mask salesman? Uh, no. Oh, oh yes. Uh, sorry, I thought you were asking if Seikon yeah. was a mask salesman. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the happy mask salesman, of course. The toilet hand. <laughs> yeah, the toilet hand in the stockpot in. Um yeah, there's definitely some odd character. Madame Aroma. I mean, her name is Madame Aroma. Uh, the mayor, who's just that poor man, that poor bastard, is just completely just has been steamrolled his whole life. Um, you know, there, there are some oddballs, and especially starting in Majora. Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of these character designs are taken from Ocarina, but then we get some new ones too. But it's Wind Waker where they start inflecting more personality more kind of odd designs and that's due in part to the art style of the game being uh, exaggerated cell shaded more cartoony but the personality types too i mean look at beetle and look at the the um you know the bomb ocean game I, guy i think Sploosh his name guy. is salvatore, oh, right? salvatore. I've, been, I've been holding back this whole time because i like sploosh guy oh, okay. you know all right well you know now we can put a name to the sploosh um you know you get some of those odd characters but I feel like they started, Nintendo kind of took it a little too far in some directions once you started getting to Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword. You just started getting these characters that I'm just sorry, I didn't give a shit about them. Like, I, I didn't care about, I don't even remember Groose's friend's name. I think he's kind of that tubby dude in like the yellow. I think he's got like a weird hairstyle. Moose. Oh, is that his name? No. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't. That's plausible. I, I can't even remember that guy's name. Like there were just a lot of just characters where it's like I don't care. And yeah, Shad, Shad, Colin, all of the kids except for um, Mallow. Mallow. I like Mallow. He's bizarre in a good way. Um, <laughs> his whole entire just existence is odd and, and implausible, but I love him. Um, but yeah, there were just too many characters in, in the subsequent games following, I would say Majora 
that were just characters that were a little odd. I just didn't care about them. And Nintendo desperately wants you to care about these people. And she's like, I'm sorry, I don't. Colin sucks. There's nothing redeemable about Colin. If you took Colin and Groose and Shad, Shad, and just threw him in a box into the Great Sea, and we never had to see him again, I'd be fine with that. I like Colin's arc in Twilight Princess. Uh, I, like, he's not cool, but I, I think it works, like, the way they use him in the story. Yeah. Would not, not to defend, the, like, the character design, but I like the arc. Um, yeah, I'm distracted by his head. Like, Bowl cut. Like I said, like, the only reason I'm not going to give my worst award to Skyward Sword is because I, I didn't get through the intro. I hated the intro so much that Shouldn't I just... Shouldn't that maybe be a sign that maybe it... <laughs> well, I just feel like I can't really speak on the full experience because I never actually left Skyloft. I see, I see. Um, so I'm actually going to give it to Majora's Mask. And what? that's not... That's not really like a judgment on like the quality of Majora's Mask, but I just... I don't like the rhythms of the game. If you, if you had asked me what I thought about Link to the Past... Uh, like before the subsequent games came out, I would have said Link's the Past has too much talking, too much <laughs> emphasis on story. Um, I the things I like about Zelda games are silence. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> one sentence. Or oh five. my god, I was so excited when like the the Breath of the Wild trailers and stuff started coming out, and it was like the old man, just like some stranger on the road. That's cool. And then when I found out that he was the king, I was like, we don't need the king. We don't need... No, why is there... Why are there towns? The whole point is that it was ruined. Wait, I don't want to talk to people. Hang on a second. Don't you love Terrytown? Didn't you say, like, you really love that whole experience? Yeah. That's a lot of talking and a lot of story. Sure. There, there's kind of like a... a lot a, of emotion. A to it. I, yeah. Right. Whatever. Okay. The, the point is, I like... If, <laughs> if I think about, like, what... My experience is in, I don't know, Link to the Past. A lot of it is like going place to place, figuring out puzzles, you know, mm. interacting with the environment, dashing mm-hmm. out of the Pegasus boots, mm-hmm. right? And if I think about Majora's Mask, it's like running around a town, talking to people mm-hmm. and like trying to like jot down notes, like so figure out which townsperson I have to talk to at what time to trigger things. And, and like the entire, the entire Groundhog Day setup of Majora's Mask, I just find unpleasant. I don't, I don't like the way the time pressure feels. I don't like the, the, like re re replaying the days mechanic. I just, I do not like it. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so for me, I think what's interesting about Majora's Mask is that I think it has one of the better narratives and that's ignoring the fact that it skews darker, which seems to be part of the reason people like it so much. Mm-hmm. But Majora's Mask does sacrifice overall dungeon content for the side quests. And, I mean, part of that's probably owing to the fact that they had a year to make it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, we can squeeze in like four or five dungeons tops, <laughs> but then that's going to be asking a bit much. So how do you extend the adventure to make it worthwhile? Well... Let's have a bunch of these side quests. Now, I do think, to be fair, there's a couple things at play with Majora. Because for one thing, I mean, it's not like you didn't have cinematic, quote-unquote, experiences on older hardware. But by the time you get to the 3D stuff with N64, these guys are inventing whole new ways of, of portraying stories in a video game. 
So I think that with Ocarina, you had interesting characters, but a fairly light cast. A lot of a lot of characters that you had to just completely come up with backgrounds for in your brain if you wanted a background. And then you get to Majora, and they took basically every one of those cast members and created a much more nuanced uh, story for them. But, you know, you have people like Angela and me where that's really enjoyable, and then you have people like Zach where it's like, well, I'm not necessarily playing Zelda for these little side quests that are just kind of world building. Right, like who plays Zelda for story? (laughs) Now, see, that's the thing. I play it for story. That's one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Like every time a Zelda game comes out, it doesn't matter what the game is. I'm, and I think this might be a weakness of, of maybe not just myself, maybe other Zelda fans. I think I play every game thinking, so how's this one connect to Ocarina? <laughs> like in, the, in my brain goes there constantly. Like even with Wind Waker, when you meet the, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, the, the Korok kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're in the Lost Woods, I'm looking at the map of Wind Waker thinking, how does this overlap onto the map of Hyrule and Ocarina? And little things like that every time, just wondering if there's some kind of carryover. Now, I know that there are the timelines, whatever. This is just me. So narrative is kind of king when I play Zelda, Mm -hmm. just from a fan perspective. So I loved Majora because of that. Like, I really liked that you had all these different characters to discover and experiences, but... I'm not big on the, the the timing aspect of it either. And I think that the the 3DS version of the game brought some quality of life stuff that were welcome that the original didn't have. But ultimately, I think that is why I'm hesitant to truly overtake Ocarina with Majora when ranking. Because I do think the quirks of the, the time system kind of make it hard to make it number one. I played the 3DS version, not the N64 version. And uh, I would hate to see that without quality of life. Really? Yeah. I, I, see, I played very, very little of the 3DS version. Uh, you know, I've played Majora's Mask, the original N64 version, many times, beat it many times. And um, I'm sorry, I, I just don't have a problem with with really much of anything about that game. I mean, I'd prefer, uh, you know, if you weren't on the three-day limit um, and, you know, saving, uh, I believe, is relegated to the the owl statues. Um, And even that, you know, you have to be careful with those. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that Majora's Mask is, I think it's incredibly impressive having a year to develop it. Um, I mean, even just the thought of taking these really minor characters from Ocarina, like Anju, who didn't even, I don't believe, had a name in Ocarina of Time. She was just the chicken woman. You know, she's just standing there helpless all the time, you know, oh, help me with my chickens, I can't touch them. And then they turn her into this full-fledged character with what is arguably the most meaningful uh, and emotional side quest uh, in Majora's Mask, her and, and Cafe. Um, I'm just very impressed with what Nintendo did with Majora's Mask. But, yeah. Well, skewing a little bit back to what I had said earlier about like the handheld stuff, when I start thinking of the all of the handheld games up until the DS, I liked Phantom Hourglass and... Uh, 
Spirit Tracks? Spirit Tracks. I liked it so much I can't remember the name. <laughs> but I, I like those two games. I thought they were done well. But I think the truly magical Zelda games are Link's Awakening, the Oracle Duology, or whatever you would call it. Duo. Duo. And then Minish Cap. With Minish Cap maybe being my favorite of all of them. Because there's... So, like, this is what's fascinating to me about Zelda. So, it's like, take comic books. Take Batman or take Spider-Man. These things are... (laughs) These are characters that are so... They have so much uh, versatility that you can create almost countless interpretations of them to the point that you've had like a manga version of Spider-Man. You've had Spider-Man in high school. You've had Spider-Man as an adult. You've had him in the future. All these endless things. I feel like Zelda is incredibly versatile too because you can have these sprawling games like Breath of the Wild and then these games that feel almost like you're playing with like little play sets like Link's Awakening, which is why I think it was so smart of Nintendo when they remade Link's Awakening that they made everything kind of look and feel like a toy. Mm -hmm. Because that's what those handheld games really had that they had that feeling to me playing them as a kid and even as an adult. You have these awesome little maquettes of of buildings that you go into We're gonna or environments. We're going to need a little like vocabulary intervention here. What is a maquette? Uh, it's like a diorama kind of thing. <laughs> okay. But it's like a little... You went to school, so you can't call them dioramas anymore. Is that... Is that wow. Okay. We'll make it even more lowbrow. It's like a Polly Pocket or a... Uh, Mighty Max. Mighty Max. Mm-hmm. Or those Pokemon play sets from the 90s that were like yep, Polly yep, Pockets and right. Mighty Max. Yeah. So you were saying about maquettes. <laughs> anyway, probably mispronounce it. <laughs> not even using the right word. Well, after all that, <laughs> there's somebody listening right now. Who's this moron? <laughs> so to some extent, I agree with your, your like appraisal of the handheld Zelda games. Except I really don't. I like I I, I do love Link's Awakening. The rest mm-hmm. of them, I really don't care for. You tell me what's wrong with those Oracle games? Yeah, what the heck? They're boring. Come on. Yeah, they're super boring. What about Minish Cap? Minish Cap has an adorable hat. I like. I I love it. What Enzo? Enzo is fantastic. Is it Enzo? I can't. Is it or Elza? Whatever. Something vaguely Italian. It's it's a green hat with like a bird head on it. It is adorable. I love the hat. And his hair looks great in that game too. Link's hair, right? Yeah. It's just a great character design. Ezlo. Ezlo. Three cheers for Ezlo. Ezlo's, Ezlo's great. <sighs> I, I did not like Minish Cap. The, like the, the biggest thing I remember disliking was like the like the two halves of a scarab coins. The I forget kin, what they're called. Kinstone 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 kinstones. Kinstones. Yeah, those are awesome. I hated the kinstones. Come on. Well, the kinstones. What's wrong with yeah. I didn't want to think about like putting two halves of collectibles together as I was roaming the world. Like the worst. We're going right. to get into this man's accumulation issues at some point oh, in the future. Oh, yeah. I uh, feel like there's a tie here, but I digress. Yeah, you know what? See, Zach is very anti-tchotchke, as he would say. Yeah, yeah. Robert and I each have pretty sizable gaming and, and, and anime manga collections. I also have a Sanrio collection. Um, lots of collections. Amiibo. Uh... In fact, collecting runs through 
our family, you know, my, my, my dad likes, our dad, me and Robert likes it's a heritable disease, <laughs> likes collecting, uh, uh, A's stuff, Raiders stuff, um, vintage. I don't think, uh, I don't think your dad would appreciate you revealing facts about your dad. Oh, I, he'd be fine. You know, vin- vintage radios and electronics and speakers and stuff. My mom collects, collects vintage Barbies. Uh, I have my Barbie stuff from the 90s. Yeah, so collecting runs through this family, the Marujos. Zach, however, is incredibly anti-tchotchke, as he puts it. And I think the anti-tchotchke is coming out in your dis- dislike, displeasure, dismay at Kinstone Fusion. There's no point in collecting things for the Sega collection. There has to be like an appreciable award, and it has to fit into the dynamic of the game, which I really didn't think it did. You know, you remember Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? And how he, he describes his parents' house as a cold, sterile, museum-like experience. I can just stop this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is how our home would be if it were not for me bringing the warmth and the love and the personality. You say warmth, but you mean mass-produced plastic. It's Be that as it may, it still Molded brings... into lovely shapes. Yeah, personality and love into our home. Zach, I don't think we made this clear. Zach and I are engaged, and he... I'm going to be the best man unless I'm not. <laughs> I don't understand why you're insisting on putting so much biography into this podcast. Look, I mean, you know, we we are who we are. And no, the people want to know who we are. Yeah, the people they want really to know. They really don't. They don't want faceless automatons. Robert, they, no yeah. one wants to know who you are. They, <laughs> Not yet. I, I personally don't know who I was until I came on the microphone. I personally am regretting knowing who you are. We've known each other for quite a while now. Yeah. Um, Years. I I don't know. I, I think this is something that uh, was discussed, not necessarily among us, but was discussed when the Link's Awakening remake came out. Mm-hmm. That the, you know, somewhat machete. Is that right? Maquette. Maquette. Maquette, thank you. Okay. M-A-Q-U-E-T-T-E, something like that. Something like that, yes. Okay. That whole maquette (laughs) look, uh, for me, does not at all capture what I, like the vibe I got from the original game, which was like more mysterious, melancholy, almost a little, I don't know, glitchy. Yeah, had Nintendo not gone the route the the artistic route they did with the remake of Link's Awakening, I personally would not have thought to go that route. I, I never, to me personally, the Game Boy games never conveyed a kind of toy-like quality to me. It works. I, I remember not being super thrilled with, with that art style when they revealed the Link's Awakening remake, but it eventually grew on me, and it's very cute, and that game is very beautiful. Um... But yeah, um, definitely kept me away from the game. Uh, the art style, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> All I know is that Minish Cap is great, and that you'd be smirching it. Yeah, shameful. So let's just go around the horn here and definitively say, Angie, mm-hmm. best Zelda, worst Zelda. Best Zelda. Ocarina of Time. Worst Zelda, Skyward Sword. I guess I'm next. Yes, yeah. sir. Best yeah. Zelda, Breath of the Wild. Uh, worst Zelda, 
Minish Cap out of spite. <laughs> Look, I, I, I do think it is probably Skyward Sword, but I feel like I can't verify based on the amount I played, so I'm going to mm. say Majora's Mask. No, 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 I think maybe the fact that you can't, you couldn't get through it would say that's your least that's, that's favorite. That's what I said. Let the readers that's decide. I, I I don't know. I guess, well, well, anyway, regardless, Ocarina's my favorite, and Skyward is my least favorite, but that doesn't mean I hate it. I invested, like, probably 150 hours into that game. Yeah. So I definitely enjoyed playing it, just thinks that it had problems that other Zelda games oh. do not. Can oh, you really man. not manage to hate a single Zelda game? Well, Triforce Heroes, but you won't let me. Wait I will s- not. Wait a second. I just had a flashback. Remember, didn't something happen with our Wii? And you had to get it repaired, and yes. then they wiped the memory, and all 130, should, 135 hours of my my Skyward experience should gone. We, should we tell this story for the inaugural podcast? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. So I got a Wii U, and I wanted to transfer all of the Wii data and games onto the Wii U. <laughs> I did this. It turns out if you play Wii Fit on a Wii U in Wii mode and try to download the Wii Fit channel, it screws up the system <laughs> so that it makes your Wii, the Wii portion of the system inaccessible. So I send it to Nintendo and I'm like, hey, I can't get to my Wii part of the Wii U. They send it back to me with all the data erased. They couldn't actually fix it. So I lost every bit of gameplay data from my Wii and have nothing now. It was, just, it was just gone. Yeah, everything from every game I ever played on the Wii. Like it never happened. It happened twice, too. I can't remember what triggered the second time where Wii mode became inaccessible, but two times it failed. The only saving grace that I, was that I was able to re-download all of my games, but mm-hmm. beyond that... It no. really just added insult to injury that I spent 130, you know, 130, 135 hours of my life on this game... Just so I could say I finished it, I completed it. It was terrible, only to have all everything, all of that just gone. Nothing to show for it. I don't remember the first time that I turned on a game and had my save files missing, which I guess would be like the older equivalent. Obviously, it's smaller in scope in terms of the damage. <laughs> I know I at least had a PlayStation memory card go bad uh, and lost some stuff that way. But I, but I can I can recall the first time I had a console break, um, which was perhaps my fault. Uh, I had a PlayStation. It was a PlayStation 1. Uh, and at the time in the late, 90s i was really into like jrpgs as like my favorite genre and you know over the years more and more of those would get localized but mm-hmm. the localizations took forever they didn't all come out i studied japanese in high school so i felt like i could i could do this you know anyhow <laughs> the point is i was interested in playing games that my playstation could not play out of the box so my dad, uh, who is technically minded, and and I got a mod chip, and we installed the mod chip so that we'd be able to play, you know, imports and whatever, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> messed it up. So instead of having a modded PS One, we had a brick. 
And I just didn't have a PS1 for a while. <laughs> to this day, I don't want to touch anything having to do with with my consoles. I know I could watch a video mm-hmm. and follow instructions, but especially if you start talking like soldering stuff, I'm just oh. like, oh, no, I'm cool. No. Nope. I think the closest I've gotten is I cracked open a DualShock 4 the other day. It was the first gaming thing I've ever opened with a (laughs) screwdriver. I used a little tech kit that I had, watched some English guy who was just like, most of y'all watched my last video and you were just like, that video sucks because you didn't show us how to open the DualShock. (laughs) So I'm watching homie open the DualShock and there's no science to it. He took the screws out and he's like, you're just going to pop it. You will pop it. And I'm like, oh my God, was that mean? So I finally got it open, but I think I did snap the little clips on the inside of the casing. But when it screws together, you can't even tell that you snapped them. So I was like, okay, I don't care. What? Sorry, I might have spaced out. (laughs) And I guess I can go back and listen to the podcast later if you don't want to repeat yourself. (laughs) You'll be our only listener. But um, why were you opening your controller? Ah, yes, that's another small story right there. I may or may not have taken a transaction at a certain workplace where you're not supposed to, on the side, take game games uh, or uh-huh. controllers from customers but this person didn't want to get 16 cents for what they were trying to trade in so i was like well she says it's new i'll get it from her she seems nice which is the classic hustle well i go i, I look at the controller after i buy it from her and i'm like oh the thing she said is new has a bunch of like filth on it because somebody's been playing it mm-hmm. and the packaging itself was dusty. Uh, well, let me go back. The casing of the controller was dusty on top of having the grime. So even though it was in the box and was sliced open, it, it was a mess. So I was like, all right, I'm going to clean it because COVID. And also I'm a neat freak. But then also I was just like, I want to like really clean it because like I wanted to get into the grooves of the sides of the casing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to actually open it for a change and clean out that gutter that's in there. Mm. Yeah. My first experience. That's like gargling rubbing alcohol. Like you wanted to clean the outside. Why are you cleaning the inside? Well, because otherwise you got to take like a razor blade to get, you know, that gunk that's out in there. These were some clearly filthy people. <laughs> filthy as in they play the game controllers. Well, the game controllers with filthy hands. Gross uh-huh. hands. Uh-huh. No thanks. Uh, my first experience with uh, a damaged console. Uh, I was very young. It left a scar mentally and emotionally. I was playing my Game Boy. It's the original Game Boy. Uh, I was playing... <laughs> uh, uh, was it? Uh, what? Um, Mario Land, the the six golden coins. That's Mario Land 2. Yeah, Mario yeah. Land 2. Mario Land 2, the six golden coins. And I was in the... I believe I was in the like Halloween stage, the graveyard stage. And you know, I was sitting on the couch playing. I was definitely in elementary school. And I heard this pop. Um, it wasn't super loud, but it was loud enough to be audible. And then very slowly, the the image on, on my uh, Game Boy just faded. And I opened up the back and the, the battery, one of the double A's had exploded. It just burst. And I guess the battery acid damaged the Game Boy, and that was it. You know, my Game Boy died the exact same way mostly mm-hmm. there was also the pop with mine yeah but i don't remember it involving the batteries it was like an internal just pop and it was done it was just done and it's funny because i have the box for mine still mm-hmm. you don't have the box for yours do you no i don't think so so i have my box 
complete and I still have that Game Boy, but it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I probably own like 20 different Game Boys. I have never repurchased an original gray brick. Yeah, I, yeah, same. I, like, I still have my original Game Boy. It's somewhere in my closet at home, but uh, I never got another one. Did your Game Boys ever develop stripes down the screen? Not that not, I remember. Not that I remember. After, after that died, then I got a Game Boy Color. My Game Boy Color never had any issues. None. Yeah, for the original Game Boy, at least. I know, you know, my family had two. Mm-hmm. And one of them, they both, to some degree, uh, the, game, the, the Game Boy was prone to developing, like, basically blank lines on the screen, mm-hmm. where just the, the green color didn't come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had one Game Boy that was, uh, you know, almost like uh, lines in terms of like, <laughs> how, oh, man, how in and out it was. Mm-hmm. Well... Probably a good place to end this this first episode. I want to thank you for joining us. That was not seven minutes. And friendly reminder, these will not be seven minutes. <laughs> they will be at least seven minutes, possibly more. Yes. 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 That's an excellent way of putting it. Yeah. It could be as long as we want them to be. And that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I don't like putting a limit on these things. But thank you for joining us. We'll have another one periodically. Don't want to commit to anything yet. We'll figure out the posting schedule. Depends on how many millions of people we can do adore us. <laughs> Robert, we're doing this for us. Yes, it's for the art. <laughs> Capital A. Capital A. Arthur. Reg- reg- we're doing it Mark. for Arthur. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, hope you enjoyed, and we'll come back soon. <laughs>